Welcome to the Evolving Accountant Podcast. We all know that some accountants can be boring, but definitely not this one. Why talk trial balances and P&L when we can get ripped jeans into the boardroom and hear business insights from people who have really walked the talk? Get ready. Here comes an all-new episode with your host, Darren Wingfield. Hi, Catherine, and welcome to the show today. For our listeners out there, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, but more importantly, what gets you out of bed in the morning? Well, thank you for letting me join you today. It's really, it's really fun to talk. And if we want to talk about exactly what gets me out of bed in the morning, if we're talking literally, then it is my husband who's like re- pulling at me to get me out of bed. I am not a morning person. But why do I get out of bed in the morning? Then it's because I love working with Asian clients, especially. And because in winter, they're seven hours ahead of me where I am in Austria, then I have to get out of bed in the morning because otherwise they finished work before I finish my coffee. Cool. So let's, let's talk a little about what your career or your journey has been like before we go on to today's topic of conversation. I started out as a languages student. That sounds like it's quite a way back and it was a few years ago. But as a languages student, I had to spend a year abroad and I came out to Austria from Exeter Uni and spent a year in a small town and I basically got adopted by the town band. And after uni, I then looked for a way to come back. And that way was to do a master's out here in international business. So that started out my career in export and international trade. And I was around five years in the UK working for a branded company in the automotive business. And then I had an opportunity to come back to Austria. So I basically jacked everything in in the UK, moved back out to the small town I was living in before and started looking for a job out here. And I had a couple of jobs that weren't really what I was looking for. They were in export, but they weren't really exciting for me. The products didn't really speak to me that much. And then I landed in baby food and spent the following 18 years working for the Eastern Exports Division of a very well-known organic baby food manufacturer. That's what brought me to Asia. Right. So we should probably explain what we're actually going to be talking about today. You sort of give us a little bit of a teaser. So Today's topic of conversation is how to successfully expand into international markets. And you've mentioned some of the places already. Can you explain actually what you do and what it means then? Well, the last couple of years, I have been working for myself as a consultant for small and medium-sized companies who are looking to go international with their business. And I help them to basically take away the fear of going into foreign markets. Obviously, within the EU, I know, sorry, UK, within the EU, it's quite easy because especially from Austria, you just, most companies can deliver very easily into Germany. You've got the same language, you've got very similar culture, so it's very easy to do. But as soon as people start to look a little bit further afield, then people are worried about not getting paid. They're worried about how to find somebody who will 
be a reliable partner for them. They don't speak the language. Maybe they don't feel confident speaking English. And so often they need somebody to just take them by the hand a little bit and help them out, either with some training or to do some stuff for them, to lead them a little bit along the way. And that's what I do. Okay. So some of our clients do actually export already. We have a couple of gin manufacturers and they they worked with the Department of International Trade in the Northeast who give advice of changing the shape of the bottle from a round one to a square one because it breaks less and you always send more than the order and stuff like that. Is that the kind of advice you give or is it more I'm here as your link between the two partners to pull that all together? I would say it depends on on what companies actually need. Obviously, the Department of Trade and Industry in the UK is a really great resource for this. And I also, when I was working in the UK, I did the Institute of Export professional exams so that I learned the nuts. I also did the ones in Austria, the equivalent. So I learned the nuts and bolts of how to get a product from A to B. What kind of paperwork do you need? What kind of legal obligations do you have? All of those kind of technical aspects about exporting and if companies need those then I can offer that kind of support as well although most countries who export a lot they have those kind of resources available quite cheaply with chamber of commerce membership I would say my expertise is more in the the way of helping companies to build the relationships because especially if you start talking about going into Asia, then business is very much done between people. And if you can't build that initial relationship, then it's very hard to get into the markets and it's very hard to build your business. Okay. So one of the big topics of that's going on at the minute is the B word. So do you think Brexit will impact the work that you do? To be honest, I'm not completely sure at the minute. I think it will impact the work that I do, certainly with some of the Austrian clients that I have, because many of them in the past, they didn't see selling to the UK as an export because it was just like selling up the road to Vienna. Whereas For the future, then, of course, selling to the UK is an export, as I think many UK companies have discovered in the last couple of weeks. Suddenly, they've got to do all of this customs clearance documentation, even if no customs duty is actually due. They still have to do the documentation. They're new at the process. The authorities in the UK are new at the process, at least for the EU exports. And so everything's taking much longer than it was needed to. And I think that for UK companies, they will be forced to be more specialised if they want to sell abroad. Because up until now, it was, or the last 40 years, it's basically been quite easy to sell your products into France or Spain without having too much paperwork really to do. And I think people have got to think a little bit more strategically for the future as to how they want to run their exports. And maybe some of them will think, well, if I've got to do the same paperwork for France as I have to do for Vietnam, then 
I could also think about exporting to some of those countries. Maybe some people's horizons will be widened a little bit. I think initially where my head sits is we receive a lot from China so that I've never thought of it going the opposite way. (laughs) You pick everything up and it'll say made in China, made in China or whatever. Do you see that as probably one of the biggest opportunities that is untapped at the minute? I think to say untapped would be to really underestimate it because there's a lot of product from the UK which is going into China at the moment. But maybe you as a normal consumer don't realise how much branded stuff is going into the UK, especially in food and beverages, those kind of products or anything which is security related. So also all kinds of industrial products or all kinds of infrastructure products get exported to China. China is hungry, especially for branded products. Okay. Slightly off topic a bit, but I remember watching a big Top Gear fan, Grand Turfer, and I always remember the episode where they did an episode in China and they sent over, I think at the time it was a BMW, and there was three cars they sent over, and the the China had tried the manufacturer had tried to sue China for basically copying it and then putting a putting a different badge on it and it looked identical but it didn't it didn't go through so that's probably in my head always been that what we send over we lose the IP on and then it's a more of a challenge a bit like especially for someone like BMW to try and sue them but the Chinese government then knocked it off and. That's based on me watching an episode of Top Gear. I've got no inside, inside <laughs> knowledge to that one. I think there are certain things that, that companies have to know before they go into China. And there are really a lot of things that you can do wrong, but you can also take steps to at least reduce the risk that you have. So if we talk about the IP topic, for example, China is what they call a first-to-file market. And so if you sell Darren's beer, in the northeast of the UK, and you think, okay, I could, I could export that as well because everybody likes a beer, and especially during with all kinds of lockdowns, it's a good product. If a Chinese person has, if a Chinese company has already trademarked Darren's beer, and there are people who specialize in that because they see that there's money in it, then you would not be able to register your IP in China, and so you would be then faced with the possibility of approaching whoever has registered that trademark and trying to buy it off them. And it depends how much they see that you're desperate as to what the price might look like or how they see how well-known that brand is. So if you're Coca-Cola, then it's probably going to cost you more than if you're Darren's beer. Sorry. I do have a good beer, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) So some of the things we said we would cover would be around their frequent mistakes. So. Would you like to share a couple of sort of what Catherine's lessons in life of the learning from the mistakes? I would say that the biggest mistake that companies often make if they're exporting is to do it without any kind of strategy or thought behind it. And so a company sitting there and they get an inquiry from Timbuktu or from Cambodia or somewhere else that they've maybe never even heard of and they have to look on the map where it is. And they think, oh, great, we've made it. We're now, we've now got inquiries for export. And they 
they maybe go into it and do that kind of spot business without really checking out who it is that they're doing business with and without really considering whether that company who's approached them is the best partner for them in that market. And yes, the fact that somebody comes to you and says, I'd like to import your products into Vietnam or into Norway probably does mean that there's a certain amount of potential there, but it doesn't mean that that person is necessarily the right one for your brand to do it. And I think people can sometimes get themselves into a corner because they think that, all right, well, we'll just send something across and it kind of snowballs. The longer it goes along, then the more rights that person is maybe gathering according to their local law. You don't know if you don't check it out what protection they get if you've delivered to them for two years and suddenly you realize that they're actually scamming you in some way or they're not taking good care of your product. You might find that they're in a legal location where it's very hard for you then to move your product registration to somebody else who would do a more professional job with your products and who would be able to better represent your brand on the market. Okay. So on the complete flip side of the mistakes, what your top tips for doing it properly? My top tips for doing it properly. Do your homework. It's boring. I know it sounds like a teacher. I come from a family of teachers, but do your homework. Find out as much as you can about the country that you want to go to ask other people who've done business there and ask lots of people. Don't just ask one person who might have had a bad experience or might have had a very good experience. See how much experience you can collect. Listen to lots of information. Listen to the Department of Trade and Industry. If they say to you, be very careful about offering certain conditions, open account payments to Nigeria or those kind of things, then listen to them. They have the experience of it. And I would say, get advice from a professional or make sure that your team has the right know-how to to actually do the business because all of the kind of know-how and expertise that you can gather in advance will stand you in good stead. It doesn't mean that you won't fall on your face, but that is part of the process. And at least if you've done the homework, then any mistakes that you make should be less costly than if you just went into it both hands over your eyes and just think, oh, well, this will be fun. And it's important to know that you're going somewhere for positive reasons. And by positive reasons, I don't just mean you think it would be good for your air miles or you've always wanted to go somewhere on holiday. I mean that you're going somewhere because you see that that would be valuable and would bring good return on investment for your company. Think about the financials. But I don't need to tell you think about the financials. (laughs) <laughs> no, definitely not. So what what's around the corner for yourself or what what are you looking to achieve within 2021? My plans for 2021 are to help as many of my clients as possible to expand their business into Asia. And also what I'm looking at is to help as many small companies as possible if they feel that They just need a little bit of support. They're just a little bit worried about going abroad and they feel that they need to have a bit more of a helping hand. So maybe they need some additional resource in their sales team, for example. Maybe they're doing exports already, but they don't export to Asia and they don't have the capacity right now. And so they would like to perhaps 
leverage my capacity that I could be their extended sales team, that kind of project. So those are my targets within 2021. Cool. Just a like side note question. If, let's say, company A wanted to start importing into Asia, how long would you say on average that process would take to from I've got an idea or that first inquiry of someone saying I want to import to it that doing the homework, speaking to the right people to ultimately the agreement completing or taking place? I would say that if we're talking about the timeline as to discussing with a company getting your product registered, because most products, if you want to do a full registration and a traditional import into China, you need a product registration, getting a contract signed, and also the physical time that you actually need to get your product over to Asia. If you're talking about something that you send by sea freight and not something small that you just send as a package to an individual person, then probably you're looking at almost a year to get everything through simply because you need to take the time to build the relationships. There are methods that small companies can sell to China via e-commerce. And there are a lot of e-commerce platforms out there. Almost everybody these days has heard of Alibaba, has heard of Taobao or Tmall. They have a number of business models where smaller companies can sell quite quickly on there. But you need to know that if you, as an almost unknown company, want to sell on Taobao, either it gets very expensive very fast because you have to somehow buy enough marketing to get traffic to your products because you have to build the brand awareness, or you have to, again, find a partner who can act as your store on one of those platforms and that you can leverage his knowledge and his awareness in the market in order to help sell your products. So again, you're still looking at probably a six-month timeline to get your product in front of customers, unless you have a very big pull-through already, because lots of products have clients who in the past would have regular holidays in the UK, for example, and take product back with them. And so there are lots of kind of hidden champions that you maybe wouldn't think about of products that Chinese consumers enjoy, be they biscuits or snacks or high-end cosmetics, all of those kind of products that you wouldn't think of as being good sellers in an Asian market. Perfect. Going on a little back to what your journey has been like, what do you wish you'd known when you'd started out? Well, that's a very long list of things. I think I wish that I'd been more aware of all the kind of cross-cultural training that's available out there, that it could have given me an accelerated start in my business life. Because when I was starting out, then sometimes I would be going to, at the beginning, I was working a lot in Eastern Europe and also in the Near East. And so you would be going to places and you would kind of feel your way along step by step. And I can think back to some moments in Egypt. And if I think back to them now, then I would just put both hands over my head and just think, oh, Catherine, what were you doing or what were you thinking of? And I think people shouldn't estimate, underestimate how important it is to be able to engage with people at the right level and in the right way for their culture, or at least what are some of the biggest no-nos 
because when I started out 25 years ago in my career, then there weren't as many resources easily available as they are now. And all of that kind of internet research was just at the beginning. There wasn't as much available. I remember going to, remember being sent to Africa on business trips and going down to London, first of all, and, and doing physical research in a physical library, which you just wouldn't do today. So, mm. so that bring, talking about library days brings us perfectly on to our next question. One of the core values of our company is we love to learn. But I always ask my guests, how do you learn or where you, where or who do you take advice from? And at the same time, if you have any recommended reading videos or other podcasts directly linked to today's topic of conversation. I would say if you're based in the UK and you want to learn about international business, then the very best resource, no question about it, is the Institute of Export. They offer really high quality courses and great qualifications if somebody wants to really specialize. And I'm sure that in the Northeast, I was based in the past in the East Midlands, but I'm sure that in the Northeast, they have also like training programs that you can go to webinars and those kind of things probably at the moment. Because none of us are going anywhere for training right now, unfortunately. If you talk about who to follow on social media or who has very, very good material, if you're talking purely about China or what is Asia, then Ashley Dudarinok is like one of the most well-placed and authoritative thought leaders in doing business in China, doing online business in China right now. She's a Russian who lives in Hong Kong and she does very good YouTube videos with interviews on China business le- with China business leaders and people who are influential in the space. So that would be a top tip, especially for especially for China. Amazing. So last question. If someone wants to find out more about yourself, Catherine, or the services that you are offering to help support businesses, where's the best place for people to find you? The easiest place for people to find me is my website, which is catherinereed.com. I think you'll put a link to that somewhere. Yeah. So because Catherine is something that people usually spell wrong. Or you can find you can find me on LinkedIn and I'm a partner with two other business consultants, so we also have a business page that you can also find via my LinkedIn profile. But my personal site also links to the business site, so that's the easiest way to find me. Perfect. Just want to say thank you for your time today. It's been great talking to you and finding out more about the mystical world of international markets. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks for listening to The Evolving Accountant. You can find out more and get show notes for this and all our other episodes at theevolvingaccountant.co.uk.